Hey everyone, welcome back to the Two Cents Money Podcast, where we give our two cents on your two cents. So today, uh, we have a really interesting topic for you guys, the road to home ownership part one. Um, So we have a special guest. Her name is Hannah Chizar from Weikert Realtors. And um, before we jump into this great topic, I kind of want to let her, you know, speak a little bit about herself, let everybody listening kind of uh, get a little insider scoop on who she is. So Hannah, without further ado. Hi, Steph. Thanks for having me on tonight. I'm excited to chat with you about what's going on in the market. Um, Just a little history about myself. I uh, am from upstate New York. I moved to Lehigh Valley in uh, late 2016. Uh, I found all types of cool stuff um, and, you know, steel stacks and everything. But Uh, with that transition, I I found myself um, with a desire to shift careers. So I worked in event coordinating for a little while. I worked in financial wellness and banking for a little while. And that really was the start of my journey into understanding a little bit more about financial wellness. Uh, Once I got my real estate license, I was able to apply my knowledge and help my clients grow and um, build success for their future and be able to purchase homes um, in a um, knowledgeable way. Ah, that's so cool. Great. Yeah, Yeah. no, it's been definitely great. I really enjoy my job, so. (laughs) I could tell you have a big smile on your face. (laughs) Hey, you know what they say, you always gotta do something that you love and that you're passionate about. Oh man, and it's one of those things where you never really realize on how much you didn't know until you start doing something that you had no idea about. So Makes once sense. you kind of really diving into it, you realize that there's so much more knowledge in that opportunity, and then you it just really becomes you. Yeah. Oh, I know. When I switched careers and you know wanted to be more financial education oriented, just gives you this like boost of energy, and you're just. You just look forward to making an impact in people's lives. And what better than getting people prepared to buy a home? That's the biggest purchase they're ever going to make. And you want to make sure that you're making the right decision, Um, especially, you know, if you have kids, you have a family, you're getting your family started. So definitely home ownership and the process is huge. So today, uh, what we have in store for you guys so we're going to talk about the initial steps to take when considering um, the home ownership process, getting getting yourself situated. Um, you know, the, the major question, how do I get to the point of, you know, sitting at closing? You're at the 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 closing uh, settlement office and now you're you're ready to sign your life away and all the documents. How do you get there? It's not you as know, scary as that, I no, swear. No, it's With the not. right team, it's not nearly as scary. But if you've never been experienced to the process before, say you've rented for so many years and you're starting to think about, okay, you know, me I'm I'm a little bit more financially stable. Rent is skyrocketing with this market. Um that maybe I want to look into buying a home. If you have no experience with buying a home, then really it is foreign territory. It so is. part of our jobs as uh, realtors is really truly to guide that process, to guide somebody who doesn't understand um, what the steps are, because there's lots of them that 
you don't even think about. <laughs> I think I'm about sure. <laughs> Um, but you know, there's, um, you know, quintessential steps that will take you that have to be completed before you even open that first door for that first showing, um, you know, and understanding on what you need to do in order to get there, um, is really, truly a process that, you know, just reaching out and doing a little bit of, um, research, um, to kind of get a little bit more savvy with the process, um, a lot of people are, you know, having a little bit of trouble with the rental market right now. Um, there's very low inventory. Um, uh, coronavirus has definitely affected, um, especially in Lehigh Valley, the inventory of rentals. So um, if you, it, it is cheaper to own a home, um, but the steps you have to do with understanding credit and your budget and you know how much your out-of-pocket expenses are they all have to be calculated before you even consider um you know opening a door absolutely and i like the fact that you said budget (laughs) because i feel like so many people forget that you know you you may have a down payment saved you may not but you know you go into it you're looking at different price points you're like ah ballpark you know um I don't know, let's just throw a dart on the wall and it lands on 200,000. It doesn't necessarily work like that because you end up moving to, I don't know, some some big city where their taxes are through the roof and Mm -hmm. half your mortgage payment ends up going to taxes. It's like, well, what's the point? You could have stayed where you're at or adjusted your, your plans a little bit. So I heard you mention the pandemic and Hannah, that was a... A uh, perfect segue into my question I wanted to ask you because I've been meaning to tackle this. Um, and I know a lot of our listeners want to know, mm-hmm. what effect has the pandemic had on the housing industry? Well, the pandemic had a huge effect on so many industries, not just the housing industry, but the mortgage industry as well. Um, yeah, you know, lenders have uh, tightened some of their restrictions and their qualifications for buyers, so they want buyers to be more qualified coming into those loans. Uh, The mortgage market is uh, very competitive. Um, There's all different types of loan products that you can use to purchase your first home. And it really essentially depends on where your credit is. But in regards to how the pandemic affected, um, interest rates dropped because the economy, um, you know, slowed during that. And the Fed is trying to make up for some of that with with understanding uh, the interest rates, not just for our debt, but with the loan process and the mortgage money process as well. Yeah. Um, and it it really created a pool of people who are just on the cusp of being able to purchase a home they really couldn't qualify because the restrictions tightened and the ratios tightened with the credit crunch uh, that mm. happened. Um, and, and that kind of is, it was pushing some buyers out of the market as well because loans that they could have been approved for beforehand and they were looking, now their lender is taking a second look at it. Just in, the underwriters gotcha. would be taking a second look at it because they're the ones who really decide if they're going to give you the loan or not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but understanding, um, you know, what the coronavirus has done to the inventory, 
because the interest rates are so low, more qualified buyers are trying to take advantage of those interest rates. So you have people who weren't really thinking about moving or refinancing their home um, at -hmm. that time, but now it's so cheap to borrow money from the bank that there's a whole new saturation of buyers taking this opportunity to either upgrade, downgrade, um, and, and really move around in the housing market, which has driven our inventory very, very low in the Lehigh Valley, not only with single family homes, but investment properties as well, because investors are taking uh, advantage of those low interest rates as well. Um, but blame them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's one of those things. But if you are a you know, a first time home buyer who is, you know, okay, I've been renting for a long time. My rent's $1,400 a month. Um, let's see what I can, you know, what I can get for a house. Cause you can pay for, you can get a decent sized house for $1,400 a month with a mortgage oh, payment definitely. in the right neighborhood. Um, and then Really, the first thing before you even go and talk to a mortgage broker is trying to figure out where your credit's at. Because credit is the most quintessential factor on if somebody is going, if one of the mortgage lenders or mortgage bankers or hard money lenders or whatever you choose in order to lend your money, if you're qualified and credible um, in order to be able to be a borrower to them in their eyes. Um, So really understanding what credit is and how it relates to the home buying process um, is important. You know, credit's the ability to borrow or to obtain goods or services uh, before payment. So you have a couple of factors what that come into play with the home buying process. Um, but understanding your credit score and your credit report and that they're two different things is important. Your credit score, your FICO score, um, you know, Credit Karma will give you these numbers. Um, They're not necessarily always accurate. They're inflated. I found the average, they're like at least a minimum of 30 points off. So Credit Karma is a great product for you to monitor your credit on if there's increases or decreases. Um, the number isn't necessarily always accurate, but the fluctuation is a great to, in order to monitor how it's moving. It is a good yes. tool for that. The numbers, um, if you are looking for more accurate numbers, I would go directly to one of the credit bureaus, um, you know, TransUnion, Experian, Equifax, and sign up for a free account for them in order to be able to get those numbers a little bit more. um, They're a little more accurate. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but your credit report and understanding how to see and read your credit report Um, If your score is low, your credit report is the story that made up your score. So there's a lot of things that you can look at on your credit report that will help you if you need to increase your score in order Mm -hmm. to be qualified. So, um, but understanding what your score is and then how to fix it is something that's really important that a lot of people don't really know how to do. Um, Credit reports are sometimes 30 to 50 to 70 pages long, depending on if you have, um, Mm -hmm. if you had debt, if you've had um, loans that you've paid off, 
any types of, um, you know, public um, utility bills, collections, um, you know, account balances or anything. If you've applied for credit cards and been declined, um, those all go into factors, the inquiries, they go into factors of your score. So having... let me ask you something, though. Mm -hmm. um, before getting into the credit pieces, I know this one's going to be a big one because mm -hmm. um, that plays like the the biggest <laughs> um that's like the one of the biggest if not the biggest part of the home buying process aside from a budget mm -hmm. you know i heard you mention about the pandemic and how it's essentially become a, such a seller's market because now people are trying to sell they realize that they can basically get what they're they're asking for if not more right yeah. Yeah, um, and actually in February alone um, in uh, the Lehigh Valley from uh, Greater Lehigh Valley Realtors, they do statistical um, data for each month. And in February, the sale to list price for the homes in Lehigh Valley was 100.4%. So people are getting 100.4% wow. of their asking price when they list it as the sales. Um, in February alone, um, 2020, last year, we had 1,239 houses on the market. And this year, February 2021, there was 516 houses on the market. So oh that gosh. shows you our lack of inventory, which essentially creates the seller's market because- wow. Sellers are getting what they want because there is the lack of inventory. Buyers are- have to be more qualified and be able to put their best offer forward and their best package forward in order to be able to win bids because mm -hmm. there are so many buyers looking to buy in this area. You know, it's funny because I did some research myself. Um, I'm not a real estate guru like you, but... <laughs> That's okay, I'm sure it was good. <laughs> um, uh, I, there's a national average apparently from um, February the month of February 2021 that just passed, the inventory of homes for sale nationally dropped 48.6%. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So it's crazy because your number was in the ballpark of almost 50% for the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania. Lehigh Valley has seen some serious fluctuations because we are getting a lot of people who are leaving uh, larger cities like Manhattan and Philadelphia and um, they're settling in the suburbs and uh, the suburbs with a little bit less tax brings people over New Jersey and into Pennsylvania. So the proximity that we have to these larger cities, which makes the commute almost nothing for them, why would they want to live in the big city and pay all those taxes when they can move here and have these quaint little towns that have these shops and still be able to have major highways to get if they even need to go into the office anymore since everyone's working from home. So it really has driven the desirability for our market in particular. Um, Lehigh Valley for national GDP is number five underneath the Boston Cambridge market. So oh, this wow. growth, the growth in Lehigh Valley is so significant with so much industry because of the proximity um, and the fact that we have an international airport as well. So people can get in, get out, and, you know, people can drive in, drive out. It's really just like this hot spot that has been exploding 
um, for the past four or five years in itself. And then the pandemic just accelerated the process of people wanting to come here as well. That's crazy. And you know, another market that I've noticed in Pennsylvania too, not to just talk about Pennsylvania. I know some of our listeners are from out of that area, but um, I'm sure a lot of people have heard about the Poconos. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I bought a house over there uh, two years ago. And I have to tell you that market (laughs) has like exploded. Like you have people from North Jersey, New York, like literally everywhere because that essentially for those who don't know the Poconos was a huge um like resort area vacationers um you know used to own those homes rent them out or you know those were their summer homes essentially and then that market died I think it was like maybe 10-15 years ago and a lot of them started to become foreclosed um and now it's just like you see these houses getting rented because investors from different areas and not even in the state of Pennsylvania. You have investors from New York and Jersey and surrounding states that are like, you know what? I want to jump in on the action. So the housing market with the pandemic and not the pandemic, it's like in certain areas, you can see the migration of people trying to leave city lifestyle because it's so expensive. You know, we have to take a step back and realize inflation each year is average three percent so when you really account for you know how much you're spending on housing and you realize well if i just got to drive an extra 45 minutes to an hour and yeah i might be across state lines but i'm essentially going to save a thousand dollars a month or however much a month Mm -hmm. i mean why not jump to it but so you know i know I know with credit, so I know you were touch, you were starting to get into it. So I kind of want to get back into that because uh, credit is a big piece. So typically, you know, scores range between like 350 to 850 roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing that I feel like a lot of people don't realize is that there's different scoring models. So there's the FICO model, which FICO model has a, a ton of different models. It depends on on the app that you're using, depends on the bank that you have. Um, you go on Experian itself, I think they use like FICO Model 8, where other banks are still using FICO Model 7, so that's why you're never able to truly get that true number um, unless somebody's doing like a soft pull on you. So it gets a little confusing. And then you have the Vantage score, um, the Vantage model, which is, again, a little bit different. I think Capital One uses the Vantage. So it's like, it, it's very confusing, but um, this is why I want to have a good conversation with somebody like you who's an expert because when something is confusing or um, it puts pressure on people to kind of shy away from wanting to buy a home, for example, or maybe they feel like they just don't have the right information, I feel like that's, this is what can help people make the best decision for them. So I think uh, the average score... Um, back in January of this year for 2021 was um, 711, Mm -hmm. which was the biggest jump since 2016. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, like, you know, from what you've heard, but from what I've heard since the pandemic started, a lot of people are trying to get their credit right. A lot of people are trying to pay down their debt because they're trying to get ultra focused. Um, So like, what do mortgage lenders typically look for when it comes to like scoring, like what have you typically seen in your realm? Well, um, you know, 
there's different types of loan products. So there's a myriad of loan products for all different types of scores. Um, and there's different styles of grants. It all really depends on um, what your uh, debt to income ratio is, how much money you have to put down, um, your score. I mean, uh, I believe it is FHA, the lowest score that they'll lend off of is 580. But getting through underwriting with the process, um, you th that's going to throw your ratios off because usually with the lower scores, you don't have as much saved um, and you do have to work a little bit harder to be able to get that process through underwriting. So, um, you know, I, and the average score is around 7, 11. I've seen 703 as well, which is an all time high. Um, yeah. You know, only 59% of credit scores are above 700. Um, so when you're looking at conventional loans, which require a little bit higher scores, um, they also look at a lot of different factors like the debt to income ratios, um, how much money you have to put down, um, because that can affect on if you need to purchase points on the loan or not. Um, which essentially all mortgages do have points. They're just built in. So, um, and, yeah. and getting into that, you know, the, the different nuances of each um, loan product is something that I think we could probably do a whole episode. <laughs> we might actually have to bring my mortgage broker in there and he can really kind of dive into the numbers a little bit more. Um, but talk in, and that's why it's essential to get with a real estate agent who can put you in touch with the right mortgage broker, mortgage banker, um, or credit union to see what they can offer because different entities will offer different products for, for scores. Um, coming out in April 1st, I believe the first front door grant's gonna be rolling out. And that is a three to one grant where um, if you put so much money down, they'll, they can give you up to $5,000 towards your closing costs, towards, the, towards um, your purchase of your first home if you're a first-time home buyer. However, yeah, no, it's great. It really truly is. It just can give that, that person that extra push that could push them from a loan product that um, you know requires a little bit more inspections um, to a conventional loan product, which doesn't require those extra inspections or appraisal processes, processes. Um, so <laughs> with that, um, there, I mean, there's so many factors when it comes into the actual lending, um, which I think that that would be best for the mortgage brokers to kind of get into on the next yeah, one. I would love to have a good conversation. Oh yeah. We'll bring that. them on in because, be you know, day. choosing how you get your loan. A lot of people shop online. They're like, Oh, well I'll just go to, um, you know, Mr. Cooper or Quicken <laughs> loans yes. or, um, you know, all these online platforms, which have become available which a lot of these, um, you know, home search platforms have started using, you know, Rocket Mortgage is mm -hmm. another one. Um, those are great until you actually need to talk to somebody, <laughs> until you really need to get in and talk to somebody. Um, as a realtor, um, if something goes wrong and we need to be able to fix it. So, yeah, but there's I've, heard, I've, had, I've heard the same feedback. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, they, they're great as long as everything is cut and dry. If you have mm -hmm. somebody who, who needs a little bit more attention, say somebody works on tips, but not all the tips are worked into their paycheck. So therefore they needed to have some kind of supplemental information for a mortgage broker um, uh, or a mortgage yeah. banker, they'd be able to work with those numbers a little bit more than somebody in Idaho processing your loan. But those are services and depending on who you like to use, um, they'll be able to kind of guide you accordingly. But, um, the, the most important factor with that uh, in getting a mortgage is credit. And it's also understanding your budget and what your out-of-pocket budget is. How much do you have out of your pocket that you can put down on a loan that isn't going to cut into your regular living budget because you still need to you know, pay your current rent, pay your current health insurance, you know, pay your taxes. Um, you know, and you want to save for those essential things like your savings and retirement and everything. Um, those are all factors that you want to um, be able to complete accordingly, but without touching this out-of-pocket budget that you have, your cash that you have in order to purchase a home. So mm -hmm. there's a couple of different things that go into, you know, working with that budget. And, um, you know, I mean, I mentioned it, they, there's different averages. You'll see Oprah has a pie chart for budgets <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, everyone's got a different pie chart for budgets. And, um, and I'm sure that you with work with your clients about, you know, what a good budget looks like and how much you want to spend on different factors. But, um, I always like to refer back to a book, um, that I read, which is, one of those books that nobody really knows where it came from because they were these theories were etched on stone tablets in Babylon many, many years ago, and they've been translated for us to understand. Um, it's called The Richest Man in Babylon, and it's a wonderful, wonderful book for somebody who wants to kind of get into the mindset of budgeting and saving. Actually, I think I got a copy here. Oh, wow, that's cool. The Richest Man in Babylon. This is a wonderful book oh, that okay. will give you the basic mindset of understanding how to save. Um, it talks about, you know, putting a essentially at least 10% away for retirement or savings that you don't touch, your emergency fund, um, which is super, super important because... If something does go wrong, I think I forget what the percentage is that how many people who only who don't have a thousand dollars in emergency fund is nationally. Um, um, I, did I think roughly statistic. right now it's like forty percent. Yeah, Last so time they did it on a national scale. Mm -hmm. So with the pandemic, a lot of people aren't going out, so they're not going out. They're not spending as much as they used to. Everyone is. A lot of people are being more conservative right now. Um, which is why I think that you're seeing a little bit more of a jump with the credit score as well, mm -hmm. because if you're not spending your money, you, you can pay your bills. So exactly. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Um, and see, and I, now that you said that, though, we're paying your bills. Mm -hmm. How bad is a late payment on your credit? Oh, well, so... <laughs> 
Credit scores report late payments. It's one of the things that goes into the calculation to essentially determine your score. But a payment isn't truly late until you hit that day 30. So if you have a payment, you have a credit card bill that you're like, oh man, I need another two weeks in order to pay this. If you pay that bill on day 29, it's still not considered 30 days late and it will not report to your credit score. Now, do I recommend cutting it that close? Eh, not really. But, but if you need to have that little bit buffer, you know, until it hits day 30 of that payment is late, it's not going to report to your credit score. So try to get that done within that time frame of that 29 days as well. Because once it reports to your credit score, that's a derogatory factor that will negatively impact your score. And then if you're 30 days late, you're like, oh, man, I, you know, I, I had this bill. I'm 30 days late. It already hit my credit score. You have another landmark that or another milestone that it hits is the 60 days late. So from 30 to 59 days you're still in that 30-day range. So even if you needed to take it out a little bit more, but once it hits that 60-day late payment, it negatively impacts your score again. So you want to be mindful of when your last due date was or contact whichever financial institution or um, you know lender that you have that payment that's going to and, and ask them if they'll work with you because you don't want you know getting behind to affect your score if you're going to be saving and trying to purchase a home in the near future. Absolutely. And the thing is, and I try to talk to a lot of my clients about this and uh, talk about it in my podcast from, you know, from time to time, these negative items on your credit report last seven years. Yeah. You know, if it's a bankruptcy, depending on the bankruptcy, it can go up to 10 years. But some of these judgments, these late payments, delinquencies, um, yeah, they're all public records. Yeah, um, so, uh, I mean, liens, judgments, um, you know, like you said, bankruptcies, foreclosures, yep. they, they do. They take a long time to come off your credit score. Um, yeah. And if you are looking to, you know, purchase a home, then those are factors that you really need to work at. There are some discrepancies that come up, which is why it's important to be able to read your credit report. Um, and Steph, I'm sure you help your clients with being able to decipher and read their credit reports a little bit. Um, yeah, it's a little, sometimes when they're like 30 pages long, it's very intimidating. <laughs> you know, you're like, uh, what's what? And especially if it's, um, if it's a credit report that shows all three and you start mm -hmm. to see like the same account, but you're mm -hmm. seeing it a few different times because it's mm -hmm. going by the credit bureau. But people, um, anybody who's looking to, Get a free credit report. Always remember, once every 12 months, you can go to annualcreditreport.com mm -hmm. um, and you put your information in. It comes up with, I forget how many questions, three, five, ten different questions um, that are security-based, meaning it's pulling random information. You know, those questions like, oh, Hannah, where have you, which zip code have you been as associated <laughs> with in the past nine years? Uh, like, the identity um, verification. I don't know. <laughs> Um, so just make sure you know your own history, yeah, <laughs> but, <please. laughs> um, you know, something like that where you don't have to even spend a dollar annualcreditreport.com is free once every 12 months. So take advantage of it because you never know. And good thing that you pointed out identity theft too, because 
Even if you're trying to see for yourself what's on your credit report, that's the perfect way to spot identity theft and say, oh my gosh, I don't, I never had a car loan with Wells Fargo. I don't even drive. Or, you know, like I paid my car off years ago. Why in the world is a car loan showing that I just opened it up three months ago? There's been a lot of fraud. Um, mm -hmm. Especially the during the pandemic. And even now, <laughs> you know, people are taking advantage of people being vulnerable. So don't, don't appear to be vulnerable. Take charge of your finances. And the best way is look at your credit report because if somebody's accidentally got, got a hold of some of your info, you don't want them to open anything up, especially if you're looking to buy a home right now. It's just, yeah. it's, it's going to put you in, in a, in a bad spot. And by the time you dispute that information, put all these alerts on your credit report, you know, sometimes lenders take three steps back and they're like, Ooh, you know, you have a lot of activity right now and it might turn them off. So you want to make sure that you're, you're ahead of that and try and prevent anything that can happen. Now, um, speaking about the credit score, before we get into the budget, everybody always wants to know. So what are the different categories that contribute to your credit score? So payment history, like we've been talking about, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Um, so that accounts for, I think, what, 35%? Yeah, I'm, I think you have the ratios on okay. um, what we're at, uh, 35% of uh, payment history. Um, so that is how on time you made your payments, of course. Um, you know, 30% of that is your debt. Um, you want to keep your revolving debt under at least 33%. Um, this says 30, I mean, 33% is kind of what the general percentages if you have um, use 33% of your available credit. Mm -hmm. So the more credit you do have, the, you know, sometimes um, opening up another credit card to expand your revolving debt and use less of a ratio is something that people can do to help them boost their credit score as well because you're using less ratio of your available debt. So one of the things I talk to people who are, you know, they need to boost their score, I say, well, if you have some cash in the bank, you can open a secure credit card. And opening a secure credit card won't have a hit on your credit report, but as soon as you start making on-time payments, it'll reflect a positive credit history. And um, as long as you're paying off your, um, your statement balance, then keeping that debt off your credit card is is essential as well because it will adjust with the ratios how much you de debt you have um, and that includes car loans as well um, as well as mortgages if you have you know a high ratio of revolving mortgage debt um, owning a home goes into the factor as well um, another thing is 15% um, for um, the lengths of credit so say you've had a card since college or, you know, since right out of high school, you had a credit card and, you know, it's got a higher interest rate. You've used it for a little while. Some people don't realize that if you're like, well, I haven't used this in so long, so I'm just going to close it. It could negatively impact your score because not only did you have a closed account now, you also just reduced your available credit for your revolving mm -hmm. credit as well. So, you know, cleaning some of those things up 
I recommend always just putting like one thing on those cards a month and paying it off completely. It shows that you kept that length of that history that you've had for 12, 13, 20 years. And if you close it and then your next oldest card is only five years old, that reduces your history, which can negatively impact your score as well. Yeah, so, yeah that's true. Um, and you yeah. know what's funny is a lot of people tend to think that, because um, so many people have asked me over the years, is okay well won't uh won't it show in my credit report or my credit history that i'm only using my capital one card for ten dollar transaction i'm like no it does not look at the dollar amount it's looking the only time it takes into consideration any sort of dollar amount mm -hmm. is the credit utilization portion which me personally i like to stay under 30 percent because mm -hmm. i notice once it starts to creep up above 30 33 that's when you'll start to see that mm -hmm. points will start to come off your score. Mm -hmm. And um, credit utilization is huge, but also too, even if you have a secured credit card or you're looking to just use your credit cards to boost your, your credit history and your credit um, report overall, don't take into consideration that, you know, oh, well, are they gonna judge me because I'm only using $20 and my limit's $2,000. Listen, do you wanna risk putting $1,000 on your $2,000 credit card. Now, not only are you stuck with 50% credit utilization, which is not even taking into consideration any other credit you have, but now if you don't pay that $1,000 off by your next payment due date, you're gonna be paying 27% in interest or whatever mm -hmm. interest rate your credit card has. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I tell people the same thing. If you have a credit card, use one for gas, pay it off. You know, mm -hmm. treat yourself for lunch once a week or your Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks coffee in the morning and mm -hmm. use that card specifically. Not the Starbucks. The Starbucks is too expensive. <laughs> That'll throw your budget. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like Starbucks. But some people might, so I had oh. to throw that in there. I know. Um, but you know it's what I mean. It's a delicious spot. <laughs> it's um, one of those I'm things. I'm more of a oh, Dunkin' absolutely. girl, FYI. Uh. You know, I uh, I got a Christmas present of that Nespresso machine, and mm. I haven't I haven't gone out for coffee since. So, okay. <laughs> although those pods are expensive, <laughs> yeah, they are, but they're so good. Um, but yeah, using I mean, really, the numbers of how much debt besides your credit utilization ratios that they're going mm -hmm. to take into account um, is if you have that collection. Then, then it comes into a factor on what your credit report mm -hmm. is. Is you know you have two hundred and fifty dollars past due thirty days, and then then it's you know five hundred dollars past due sixty days. That's going to show kind of negative history and negative credit usage yeah, um, yeah. when it comes to that. So be conscious, be mindful. Try only use what you can pay off. Mm -hmm. If you can't pay it off in the next month. Um, then be prepared to, to pay some interest on it. And with right now, even though the interest rates are a little bit lower than what they used to be because all the interest rates dropped, you know, vehicle loans, some credit cards, you know, I mean, some of them are still pretty high, but yeah. it, be mindful of your spending. And as we get into talking about budgets uh, a little bit more, we can oh, kind of get into that. 
<laughs> it's coming. But, you know, some of the things that, um, you know, I want to get back to talking about some of the different things that could be on your credit report. Um, if there are discrepancies on your credit reports, if you get all three reports and one of them says you owe this much money and one of them says you owe this much money, um, you can file disputes to the um, to the credit bureaus yes. for them to take a look at that. If you don't recognize something on there, um, you can dispute it. Contact them right away. Uh, I know Experian is very easy. You can make a dispute directly on their website once you set up a free account. Um, sometimes they make you try to pay a dollar to set up an account. You don't need that one. Um, but if you want the monitoring and everything, you, you can get that. Um, but go on there and say, I don't recognize this charge or this person shouldn't have charged me this. Um, and, and you can very well dispute it. There's no downside in disputing something on your credit report. It doesn't have a negative impact or anything like that. Um, if there is something huge on there, somebody opened a credit card in, you know, Atlanta or Idaho or California, um, and that's on there. If you do lock your credit report, you can lock it, um, to keep them from using it anymore and then file a dispute with it in order for a mortgage lender or broker to be able to pull your credit to get you pre-approved, you have to call the credit bureaus and unlock it. And then you can lock it right again, but it is important that you will need to have a couple extra steps if that has happened to you, even if it wasn't your fault. But that's okay. It's just, you just don't know. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, trying to help you be, feel a little bit more comfortable to take these steps and to talk to these people um, is essentially what we're doing here. <laughs> so, exactly. um, but yeah, collections, um, you know, charge-offs is one that, you know, a lot of people, uh, they had a credit card in college, they never ended up paying it, it's five years later, and they get a letter that it was charged off. Well, that charge-off is going to be on your score for seven years, unless you contact that financial institution and you pay it off. Once you pay it off, it it doesn't come off because it was derogatory in that time, but it can help boost your score because they would remediate that on your score saying that it was paid in full. Um, other things that, in, uh, you know, impact um, your score and your and your report that a little bit more derogatory is um, you know rental payments if you you know owed your landlord rent they can basically put a lien on your credit report that reports that you have passed your rent that you need to pay as well um, so you want to make sure you talk to these people about uh, coming up with some type of payment plan or anything so it doesn't affect you later down the road because you don't realize on how much it could affect your score and your yeah. future when you do get everything rolling and back together um you know rental payments is one uh, family support child support um you know the need for you to be able to take care of you know children that you've had or support them um, that is a factor when there are, um, if you don't pay it, it could negatively impact your score because it report. It could also impact your budget and your income as well because they would take that directly from your check. So um, there's a lot of different things, you know, reestablishing your credit after a bankruptcy or a foreclosure. 
um, you know, bankruptcies really take a, a, a blow to your credit score. Um, that and those take ten years to come off. Are yep. seven seven to ten years? I depending on on which type, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, if you have multiple bankruptcies, that is, you know, a struggle in being able to come back for that. Um, another factor that could be on there that that could hurt hurt your report and your score is um, non-reporting credit lines like your electric bill, cable bill, utility bill. If you have late payments on, um, you know, late payments for more 30, 60, 90, 120 days, those can actually go onto your credit report that you have those uh, collections. Oh, they'll send those to there. collections, yeah. Oh, they'll send Typically them right Typically after on. like six months of them trying to harass you from 8 a.m. to however, mm-hmm. 9 p.m., <laughs> they'll, they'll try and get to you. Um, no, yeah. Another thing is too is uh, I really want people to keep in mind when it comes to your credit history and the length of your credit history accounts for 15% of your credit score, don't throw that 15% credit history away by closing accounts. It's okay if you're starting to pay down your debt, you become debt-free before you, you know, you want to tackle the homeownership process or whatever the case may be. Do not, and I repeat, do not close accounts out, especially if you're at a point where your your credit is really going to be the end-all be-all for your situation and in this case the home buying process because that will obliterate your credit score especially if it's a credit account that is holding up your credit history um just say your credit history has 15 years of of good history on it and your oldest account is the 15 year credit card that you've had for so long just because you pay it off and you're like nope i don't want to be tempted by it anymore I'm going to chop my Discover card up. Uh, chop I, it up. I'm going to close it out. don't close it. <laughs> don't close it. That's okay. You, can, you want to shred you it. Can you can cut it in half. Give it to your dog to chew. Close the account. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Don't close the account. Put your gym so, membership on it and that's it. <laughs> yeah, keep something. You know, if you want to put your car insurance on it, because you know you're going to have to pay your car insurance regardless, anything that's recurring, your phone bill, anything. But do not. I repeat, do not. And if you don't use it, that's fine. A lot of credit card companies right now, what they're doing is if they notice that you're not using it for a while, they might decrease your limit because it's too much exposure because of this pandemic. I'd rather you lose some of your credit limit than completely have an account that that ends up getting closed. So just don't do that to yourself. Now, I want to get into this budget um, conversation because one, budget's probably one of my most favorite. And I would say two... um, it's it's crucial it's important um you never want to get yourself into a situation that you essentially can't afford um i don't think we think about the budget piece of things as much as we're supposed to um and i think that's more of a society issue it's not to say it's one demographic over the other or this region over this region it's society overall you know everybody wants to um what do they call it keeping up with the joneses uh, you want to, you know, get the newest iPhones or the best clothing. Now it's designer face masks, uh, which I had a conversation <laughs> with a coworker the other day. I'm like, this is unbelievable. I'm not spending $100 on a Chanel face mask. I'm just not doing it. Um, <laughs> but budgeting is crucial. So 
The average mortgage payment falls around roughly about $1,500 a month. So for those of you who may be paying rent right now, um, and maybe you're paying more than $1,500, you probably just gasped for uh, some air and realized, oh my gosh, does it make sense for me to rent right now? Depends on your situation. Because just because your mortgage payment is $1,500 a month doesn't mean that that is the flat line ending of what your housing costs are going to be. Um, and especially if you're in a renting situation where some of your utilities are included, don't forget about that. Because if that's the case, that goes out the window the second you own a home. You know, something happens, that's on you for owning a home. So you gotta, you gotta swallow that reality pill and realize there's some good, there's some bad. It, there's a lot of good coming, you know, when it comes to home ownership. But the budget piece of it, we have to open our eyes and, and be more realistic. So when it comes to your budget, your housing payment should never be more than 25 to 28%. And some of you may be wondering, why so little? You know, you go to the bank and some of them say, oh no, up to 50%. No, you do not want to do that to yourself. <laughs> Even if your local bank says, no, John, we can, we can approve you. You know, as long as it, we get it up to 50%, no, do not do that to yourself. Because let me tell you why. Life throws you lemons. You try to make lemonade, but life is unexpected. Your furnace breaks down. Um, you know, the, the kid next door accidentally throws a rock through your window and you have to replace your window. That's coming out of you. You're not calling your landlord and saying, um, hey, Miss Jones, um... The window broke can you come and fix it or can you come and replace this nope you gotta look in the mirror because that's the person that's gonna do it right <laughs> <laughs> that's essentially what happens yeah and and when you know i i work with uh first-time home buyers i work with investors um you know as well as some commercial deals and you know uh, investors when they're looking at a property to evaluate it um for to see if that purchase price is going to be a good purchase price, mm -hmm. they factor in at least 5% of the purchase price for vacancy and maintenance, um, you know, just to kind of average it on out. Um, that's and, and, and that's one of the ways that you can uh, budget for uh, the unexpected variables. Obviously, when you are taking a look at a home, um, the mentality of, being a, a little bit more responsible and self-aware of the things that you are going to be responsible for um, kind of comes with the home buying process and your realtor and your lender are going to help you get those numbers. And once you actually see those numbers on that table and, um, and, and say, all right, this is, this is my duty. This is my due diligence. This is what I got to accomplish. Those numbers are, are not even including the utilities that you had yet mentioned, uh, cable, internet, um, taxes are a big one that people always forget about and like, Oh yeah, I got to pay taxes, homeowners insurance, depending on where the property is, uh, the, the homeowners insurance, um, you know, could be higher or lower. Um, flood insurance too. Yep, if you love water, one. you want to live by water, which is great. Um, but factoring in flood insurance could be as high as a thousand dollars a month, and factoring that into your debt to income ratios is important. Um, and the there's underwriter no getting away from the insurance piece. Of it. <laughs> no, 
You can't be no. like, oh, I'm, unless you're okay, buying, I'm gonna the bring house it to cash. closing, and then I'm gonna cancel it, and then nobody will ever find out. Oh no, they will find out because the insurance company will send a cancellation notice to your mortgage lender, and your mortgage lender can put force placed insurance. They can call you up and send you a million. And that and insurance letters. is so much more expensive than you it's being like able to shop around. Three times more than oh, if you Lord. go get it yourself. It's insane. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, those are things that are, you know, a, a lot of loans, and unless you specifically request them not to be, a lot mm-hmm. of loans will escrow your taxes and insurance for you. And what escrow means is your part of your mortgage payment will go into an account where it'll sit there until it's time to pay your taxes um, mm-hmm. or insurance. And then your mortgage company will pay those taxes and insurance um, to the vendors directly. You still may receive a tax bill in the mail, um, but if you escrow, make sure you get that to your lender. That way they can pay it. Um, So accounting for that escrow in your mortgage payment is a great way for you to not even have to think about it. (laughs) And which is a great tool. It's almost like automatically putting 10% of your paycheck into a savings account or into a retirement account, I recommend 10% of each, Um, you know, that 20% that you put into accounts that you don't even touch whatsoever. That's your future. Um, And it touches on that in some of the, um, you know, the chapters of The Richest Man in Babylon. It's how these silk traders and these fishmongers and everything became rich because they adopted that mentality of, putting that 10 to 20% away and not even touching it. You increase your buying power by having more of an emergency fund. And as your, you know, I mean, they, they reference as your coins add up, you have more power to be able to do the things that you want. So breaking down, you know, your, your housing, you know, 25 to 28%, um, your other debt, you know, 8% really, Um, You know, accounting for taxes, Um, not just payroll, but, you know, homeowner or county school taxes, municipal taxes, those those aren't going down. (laughs) Yeah, your real estate taxes. Yeah, yeah, real estate taxes are, you know, essential and they do increase from year to year. So that could affect on how much your mortgage payment is from year to year if your taxes increase. uh, you know, factoring in 9% for risk and risk is auto insurance, health insurance, homeowners insurance, flood insurance, anything that could possibly happen that breaks you, your house mm-hmm. or anything around you. Um, you you want to be able to factor for that as well. Um, I talked about, you know, 10% to retirement, um, you know, 10% to a savings account as you're cash flow, um, you know, to be able to put it in a uh, savings account so you can get your cash up. Um, But that really breaks down to only about 20% of your income that you use for your daily spending. So that's talking about groceries and, you know, basically your entertainment, your living expenses that you want. So a good rule of thumb is to try not to spend 
on, you know, clothes or your Gucci mask or <laughs> the coolest vinyl or, you know, pink rims or try not to spend more than 20%. And if you want to break it down monthly or if you want to break it down weekly, you know, somebody makes a thousand dollars a week, that's $200 a week that you have to spend on your things and taking, yeah, yep. you know, if you're saving for a home, taking extra money out of that spending category is what you're going to be doing to put extra money aside for that budget, for that down payment. Um, and it's important to be able to get into that routine when it, and that's the most important thing is to get into the mindset and the routine that you're just going to do this. This is what your goal is. Um, you know, they talk about SMART goals um, and SMART for an acronym, uh, acronym of um, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely goals. So you want to be able to set specific goals. I want to get a down payment on a house. Um, you you want to have it measurable. Okay, I want to get $15,000 to down payment on a house so I can get a loan product that's going to cost me less, like a conventional loan. Yeah. Um, interest rates are a little bit lower with those loans when you put more money down. So, um, you know, attainable is I'm going to take, um, you know, 5% out of my 20% spending to put additional into my savings. Um, and it's completely attainable for you to do that as long as you condition yourself to be able to actually stick to that goal. And then you want to set it in a timely manner. So I want to do this. I want to have $5,000 in the next six months. How do I do it? And then you break it down backwards. And then once you break it down and you want to write it all out on paper too. Um, you know, once a pen hits the paper, it really makes it real. You know, yeah, you can dream an idea and everything, but conditioning yourself to put it on paper so you have it to reference is going to be the best way in order to kind of start to train yourself. It's like going to the gym. You want big muscles, you got to train, mm -hmm. you got to work at it. You yeah. want to have that mindset that you're going to save and you're going to achieve these goals and everything. It's that's a muscle too. You got to work at it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, um, but, but really, I mean, the biggest part of the budget is mindset, but breaking down specific uh, ratios of how to spend your money, that it, it's truly important because that's what's going to get you to the point where you'll be able to pay down your bills put some money aside, and then be able to go and get pre-qualified with the lender to be able to purchase a home, if that is your goal. And also, when it comes to a budget, so take into consideration putting money aside, like Hannah said, with your SMART goals. Um, just say you know the ballpark range of what, you're look, what type of house you're looking for um, cost-wise. If you are able to save at least 20% for your closing costs and down payment, that's going to be huge for you to qualify for a product that's going to have no PMI, which for those who don't know what PMI is, that's private mortgage insurance. That in itself can easily add like 50 bucks to your, your mortgage payment, depending mm -hmm. on, on, on your mortgage and your like in your individual situation. But that's definitely something to take into consideration. Now, it's not to say that you can't go 
through the process and own a home. If you have less than 20%, of course you can. There's programs that, you know, three and a half percent down. But as we get into future episodes, we're going to tackle into, you know, different products that um, are a little bit more achievable depending on your situation. But when you're looking into your budget, take the closing costs into consideration because you don't want to show up empty handed because it's going to be very difficult to close the deal, especially in a market like today where it's a seller's market. Sellers are getting more than what they're asking for. And essentially, at times, it could be a bidding war from people that I've talked to. Um, You know, people are coming to the table with more because they know there's 10 other buyers that are interested. So it's not to say that buying a home is impossible. Um, It's always going to be a little scary in the beginning because you're going into the unknown, but that's okay. Um, You know, there's professionals like Hannah, like myself, who can help guide you through the process. And anybody looking to really get into a budget, um, I, I offer that service. Um, it's I like to do one-on-one counseling. Um, and honestly, it doesn't have to be in person. It can be over a video call, video conference call. But budgeting is crucial. Even if you're not looking to buy a home right now, or if it's in your uh, plans for the future, the near future, or even if you just want to get your finances right, Budgeting is going to be huge Uh, in order to have goals that you're able to kind of get in order and actually reach. You got to know what you're spending, what's coming in, how are you spending it and how can you get to your goal or your smart goal in that sense. And um, Hannah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this next part. So biweekly payments. So before we start wrapping it up, um, now, so there's good, there's a lot of good stuff when it comes to biweekly payments. For those that don't know, um, you can actually end up chopping off now, depending on your mortgage. Um, and again, depending on your scenario, I always like to put that disclaimer out there. You can easily cut about four to seven years off of your, your mortgage repayment, um, plan so to speak, by doing a biweekly payment system. And the thing to look out for, though, um, and Hannah, I want you to jump in, too, is beware of those programs that call you or that they pop up on Google ads saying, you know, give us X amount of money and we will get you into a biweekly payment plan or program. Don't do it because there's lenders out there that from the second that you start applying they have products that are specifically for bi-weekly payments and a lot of times your lenders will even offer that you know do you want to make a monthly payment are you looking to do bi-weekly if you can do bi-weekly because going back to your budget is it better to pay two thousand dollars in one shot or is it better to pay a thousand dollars every two weeks and then on top of that, it's going to cut your interest. So, I mean, Hannah, do you have any thoughts on the biweekly payments? Yeah, I've actually worked with some clients who do biweekly payments. Not all financial institutions offer it, but mm-hmm. if you add, it's, they they won't come out with the fact that they might offer it. Yeah. Um, it's something you definitely have to ask for. Um, and when interviewing different, you know, financial institutions, which is important when you're deciding on who's going to hold your mortgage, because it's a significant exactly. purchase and it's over a, a very, very long time. 
Um, you want to make sure that you, yes, you talk to them about fees, you talk to them about payment options, um, the ease of payments. Um, if you, they offer refinancing solutions, you know, you could buy a home and your credit wasn't that great. And a couple years down the road, you can refinance that. And if you had something like PMI on your loan, you can get rid of the PMI. You know, FHA loans have PMI the entire length of the loan. But say three years down the road or two years down the road, you um, your credit has drastically improved, you're responsible, you've been doing great, and um, you want to refinance, you can refinance with different companies and um, they may offer biweekly payments. It can take a 30-year loan into a 25-year loan, absolutely, and that's just interest that you are saving. Um, and who doesn't want to pay less for something? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it, but understanding on what products and services each mm -hmm. financial institution is, is the really the most important part. And once you get with somebody like staff or somebody like me, when it comes to these factors, we can kind of guide you to uh, professionals who you can ask those hard questions or we can help you come up with a script on who, uh, what questions you want to ask as well, which is why it's essential on getting the right team that's going to work for you as well. A lot of people think that, you know, real estate agents, they're just going to, yeah, they're going to list our house, they're going to mm -hmm. open a door and this and that. Part of the process and part of the value that we provide to our clients is that we've been doing this we do this every single day we can give you the ins and outs and we're going to take time to sit down with you personally and understand your situation understand your wants um understand your dislikes as well because you're going to definitely tell us that that's my first question i ask is what do you not want because <laughs> you get a lot more um, a lot more truth with that but of developing the relationships with the professionals who are going to guide you in the right way is yes. is just as important as getting your budget and your credit and your numbers all together. And like car insurance, homeowners insurance and everything, when it comes to your loans, you, you want to shop around um, and make sure that it's going to work for you. So, um, but... Yeah, no, the biweekly payments is really a great tool, um, especially if you're paid biweekly, too. You could very well have that portion of your paycheck. Just send it right over to the mortgage account and have it and have your mortgage draw from that account. Set it, stagger it where you get paid one week, then your mortgage payment comes out the next week. And then you get paid one week, then your mortgage payment comes out the next week. That way you don't run into any late fees, too. So Yeah, exactly. Um, I think yeah. the, the I think biweekly payments are huge. Um, like I said, they help knock down quite a few years off of your repayment plan um, or your payment. Um, just say you have a thirty-year mortgage, you know you can easily knock off four, five, six, seven years. Um, if you have a fifteen-year mortgage, you might be able to knock off maybe three, but that's still huge because you're you're knocking off essentially some of that interest where it can get really deceiving sometimes when you're looking at your mortgage statement and you're like, 
I've been paying for two years and my principal balance isn't going down. Uh, the amortization rate. Yeah. That's actually one of those things um, that not as many people understand is the amortization rate. When you take a loan, you're paying interest first and mm -hmm. you're paying a majority of the interest first. There's yep. a certain point where you're paying just as much interest as principal and then you're paying more principal than interest. But over the first few years of the loan, a majority of the of your payment is going towards the interest. I think now, I read somewhere of like a 30 year mortgage after mm -hmm. like the 10 year mark, you start to see a little bit of a shift. Yeah. But essentially, like the first 10, 15 years of a 30 year mortgage, you're not going to see that principal balance really going down like you would think. And there's great tools that, uh, you know, I use. There's a couple of apps that talk about amortization tables. Um, there's one called Carl's Mortgage Calculator. It's great. You can put in the, um, the loan amount, your interest rate over the years, and you can actually see what your payment would be. Now this payment isn't including taxes, insurance, um, any type of um, you know title or anything type of work that could go into the loan. It's specifically loan, um, your, your loan schedule. But you can click on it and it'll show you the amortization table because it is a chart and it is a, a flow chart that will actually break it down for you. But yeah, I wanted to touch on one thing you had mentioned was, um, you know, your principal coming down um, and something we didn't mention when we were talking about budget because um, everyone always forgets about this and I almost did too. <laughs> so um, there's, there's a portion that you want to try to put aside for savings mm -hmm. um, or for payments is called windfalls. So with the uh, passing of the stimulus that's going to be coming out, that money, if, if it is money that is coming to you, use that money as a windfall to pay down some of the principal on your loan. If you pay down more principal, say you get a, you know, birthday money or, you know, this and that, and you know, you don't really need it. If you pay down the principal on your loan, that reduces the amount of interest that you're paying and shortens the life of the loan. So if, you know, windfalls like the stimulus that's going to be coming out, if you don't need the entire check to pay bills or survive or anything, put whatever is left over towards the principal on your mortgage if you have one as well, um, yep. or put it in a, um, a high interest account. I always recommend if people are putting money away that they want for down payments, that they look for good vessels to place their money in. And Absolutely. high interest savings accounts are a great place to put your savings for your down payment because the interest just compounds. And compound interest is something that um, we'll get into next time when we talk about lending a little bit more. Yeah. But yeah. if you can get a higher interest rate on your savings, do it because it's just free money. <laughs> so in shopping around for different, you know, a lot of people offer them for the high interest rates. Um, and some of the credit card companies are offering high interest savings accounts as well. If you don't trust yourself with the high interest savings and you're like, oh, you know, you can come in with a couple of more secure 
vessels like um, you know bonds or CDs or anything like that. You check the interest rates around because right now the CDs are a little bit low because yeah. all the interest a lot of times rates. The CDs are, low. are lower than the the high interest savings. Yeah, so rates. but the high interest savings accounts um, are a great way to store money and have it compound. Because once you get interest from one month, that adds to the balance. And then that interest from the previous month and your original balance the next month will compound and you'll get interest on all of that. So it is a good way to grow that, you know, savings and have your money work for you. Because the bank's using your money to work for them and to be able to write loans. You should be able to, you know, have your money work for you as well. And that's the one of the important things as we get into some of the more financial and talking about investments and, um, you know, uh, basically the mindset of growing wealth. Um, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more deeper. But, yeah, if you if you get some of that money, you know, if it's the fourteen hundred dollars that they're saying, it's fourteen hundred dollars towards a down payment, which could be the difference between. Um, you know, a lower or higher interest rate. It's a difference between three and a half and five percent, which could change your loan type completely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Hannah, um, first of all, on behalf of Two Cents, I want to say thank you. Oh, well, thanks uh, for having me. For joining us in such a great conversation. I feel like anybody who's listening, um, they're going to benefit from listening to this podcast episode because we've We've really spilled out a lot of good information. Um, if anybody listening wants to rewind and go back to some parts, definitely do so. Uh, and if you ever have any questions, uh, just remember we have a Facebook page and an Instagram. It's Two Cents Money. That's T W O Cents S E N S E Money. Two Cents Money. And then Hannah, how can our listeners? Um, get in contact with you if they either want to go through the process, they have some questions. Oh, yeah. So I'd be happy to talk to people about the home buying process if you wanted to get more in depth with it. Um, you can reach me via Facebook um, and I'm at Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H-L-V Homes, H-O-M-E-S. Um, and that is also my email as Homes at gmail.com. Um, I work with Weikert Realtors in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Um, so our office number that you can reach me, somebody can always find me, <laughs> be bopping around. Um, that is um, it's 610-865-5555. And, um, you know, just tell them you want to talk to Hannah and they'll be able to find me wherever I am in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Hannah? <laughs> yeah. it, it, honestly, some days I don't even believe it myself. <laughs> That's hilarious. But seriously, thank you so much. Um, yes, thank you. you. And good luck. Yes. And, and to everyone listening out there, if you don't know something, the first thing you have to do on your journey to find out is just ask. <laughs> because there is a lot that I didn't know until I said, huh, I don't know that. Maybe I should find that out. And there are no bad questions. There really aren't. No. So... No. The only dumb question is the question not asked. Ah, Confucius. No. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Well, so, thank you so much for yeah, having me yeah. on. And to all you viewers out there, stay savvy. 
<laughs> I like that. And um, stay tuned for some great episodes coming up. Um, thanks again for listening to our Two Cents Money podcast, where we give our two cents on your two cents. And uh, stay tuned. We have some great material coming in uh, for the rest of the month of March. And then going into Financial Literacy Month, my favorite month of the year. Aside from my birthday. Just don't tell anybody. So um, thanks again. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And stay tuned for more um, home ownership topics and other financial topics. We'll talk to you next time.